0: We are searching for wisdom in all the right places. Uh, We're looking at the Old Testament wisdom literature. We're looking at uh, Job and Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and we're doing it from a very high level. When I say high level, I mean one sermon per book. That's all you need, you know. No, it's actually not all you need. Maybe you need more. Uh, But the idea is to give you some encouragement to go home and read these for yourself. I think maybe sometimes we avoid it, or we pick and choose, or we read it selectively. But go home and read these amazing pieces of wisdom. Sometimes we say, God, give us wisdom. And what do we expect? That God will just zap us with wisdom? No, I think God says, here you go, read this. Right? It's like when we pray for patience. We just expect God to zap us with patience. But he says, here's a slow driver in front of you. Now learn patience, right? I think it's the same with wisdom. Uh, sometimes uh, when we pray for wisdom, we have to be careful what we pray for because God says, well, here's a complicated situation. Try and figure this out while you trust in me. Okay, so that's what we're doing. We're asking for wisdom, but we're applying ourselves to knowledge in the hopes that God by his spirit will inform us and equip us for the decisions we need to make. So today we're looking at Ecclesiastes and uh, this is the search for wisdom in our purpose. What gets us out of bed in the morning? What gets us out of bed in the morning, especially when we're facing some difficult challenges in life, whether it's health or finance or family, and we'd really not rather get out of bed in the morning? What keeps us going? What gives us purpose in life? Ecclesiastes helps to point us in the direction of our purpose. Douglas Adams was not a Christian. (laughs) And I've mentioned him before. He was an author. He was an atheist. He actually died in 2001. He was only 49 years old. And he died of a heart attack. Uh, One of his famous books that he wrote, anybody know? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And it was made into a ridiculous movie. Uh, The book is better, but very hard to slog through. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy essentially mocks the quest for the meaning of life. It kind of mocks the whole quest uh, that people are on search for meaning. And as you go through the book, you're introduced to something called deep thought. Now, deep thought is a supercomputer that was created by a pan-dimensional, hyper-intelligent species of beings to come up with the ultimate answer to the question of life, the universe, and everything. This is deep thought. And Deep Thought wasn't just a single, you know, personal computer. Deep Thought actually was the size of a small city. And over seven and a half million years of calculation, this is how ridiculous the whole book is, right? If you read it. After seven and a half million years of calculation, ding, it comes up with the answer to the question, the meaning of life. And everybody's ready for it. They're waiting for it. And it says, the ultimate answer to life, the universe, and everything is... 42. And people are like, what? We've waited seven and a half million years for this? And that's the answer. It's kind of a mockery of the whole. And it's funny because people who have read the book, they're trying to psychoanalyze it, wondering what is the number 42? And Douglas Adams said it was just the first number that popped into his head. It was, it's that ridiculous. The answer is 42. So obviously disappointed uh, that people you know, asked to check again. And so the keepers of deep thought say, we checked it very thoroughly, and that quite definitively is the answer. I think the problem, and this is important, I think the problem, to be quite honest with you, is that you've never actually known what the question was. (laughs) Isn't that an interesting assumption? We go through life thinking we know what the question is. I remember seeing bumper stickers during a campaign in the 80s, Jesus is the answer, and someone else (laughs) came. out with a bumper sticker. What was the question? <laughs> we have to ask the right questions, don't we? Well, the question in Ecclesiastes is not about the existence of God. Ecclesiastes doesn't challenge the existence of God. The author of Ecclesiastes is not an atheist. In fact, you find God all throughout the book in very helpful and wholesome ways. So that's not the question. It's not about the existence of God. God is always there. The question is this, does God matter? Does God matter? It's not the question of of whether God exists or not. It's the question of, does God matter? As we search for purpose and meaning in life, does God matter? And so as we read through the book, we're introduced to two voices. And the first voice is kind of the framing narrator. And the narrator comes in with an introduction, and then we've heard Gwen read very well. I love it when Gwen reads. She read the uh, conclusion, and you could hear the change in voice from the teacher, right? And then the narrator kind of sums it up for us. So we have two voices. First one is the narrator. The second is a figure that sounds a lot like who? Solomon. Sounds a lot like Solomon. I don't know if Solomon actually wrote this. It doesn't really matter. But it does sound a lot like Solomon. We're meant to think of Solomon when we read it. Why are we meant to think of Solomon? Well, he's introduced right at the beginning of the book that the teacher is the son of David, the king of Jerusalem. So that's a clue, right? And then we're also told that he was very wise. That's another clue. And then we're also told that he collected sayings like proverbs. So we have a pretty strong clue that we're meant at least to think of Solomon. And that's really important because if you're going to send someone on a test, on a quest to find the meaning of life, you're gonna want someone who is wise and powerful and wealthy and has a lot of time on their hands. That's Solomon, right? And so Solomon does this quest for us because we don't have the time to do it and we don't have the means to do it and we don't have the power to do it, but Solomon does. And so he kind of goes on this quest for us to find meaning. He is our deep thought. (laughs) He's our supercomputer, and we're waiting to find out what his decision is in the end. So this figure like Solomon is referred to throughout the text as the teacher, but that word could also be translated the collector. Not the bone collector, but (laughs) the collector. (laughs) The collector in the sense of he collects sayings and wisdom and bits of knowledge. That's who we're talking about here. And it's kind of like Solomon is now the older man, the older man that looks back on the mistakes of his life, on the quests of his life, on the questions that he's had, and he now draws practical wisdom that he shares with us and an eternal perspective after all of his mistakes, after all of his questing, right? I admire people who as they age, look back on their life and they say, I have no regrets. I think, really? How is that possible? I'm 51 and I have a list of regrets as we look back. Um, But sometimes we look at Ecclesiastes and we think it's a very cynical book. It's a book full of regrets. But I don't think that of Ecclesiastes. I actually find it a very liberating book. I find it a book that is actually very honest. And I also love Ecclesiastes because it's disruptive. It makes us think, it disturbs our thinking just enough to set us on the right path. And so, the teacher sets out on our behalf to find the meaning of life. But he encounters three obstacles in his quest. The first one is this, the march of time. This is a major obstacle in finding meaning in our lives. The march of time. Anybody feel the march of time? Um, Facebook is is horrible for this. Every once in a while, if you have Facebook, uh, you open it up and it's like your memories from ten years ago, and you're like, "What? How is it possible that that's ten years already?" And wow, I look younger. <laughs> and you realize like ten years goes like that, doesn't it? And we don't need Facebook to remind us of that. But the march of time. Is an obstacle that the teacher encounters in trying to find meaning. Let's just look at just a couple of verses. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 4, this is what he says. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever, and then down at verse 11, there is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. How do you feel about that? How do we feel about that, the march of time? We all feel, in some sense, that our lives are terribly important, right? We do, and they are important. But the next generation will forget us. (laughs) They'll forget us. Honestly, we'll be remembered maybe for a generation. By the second generation, it'll be a few rumors that we existed. But beyond that, we're forgotten. How do you feel this morning? You're supposed to come to church and feel good about yourselves, right? I think about my my dad and I have amazing memories of my dad. He passed away now 12 years ago. How is that possible? But he was an amazing man. I carry a lot of memories of him. My daughter Kira, however, was so young when he died. She has maybe a few memories, but mostly stories. If she has children, I won't say when, but if she has children, they'll have no remembrance of my dad. In my mind, he was a great man. Two generations later, he's not really remembered anymore. This is a major issue for the teacher. He says, how can we find meaning in life with the march of time when we're not remembered anymore? Okay, it gets worse before it gets better. So just hang on there with Ecclesiastes. Second big obstacle is this. It's very similar to the first, but a little bit different. Second big obstacle is this. The inevitability of death. We are all going to die. I don't know if you've ever said that to yourself, we're going to die. I think I said that yesterday or the day before to Christine. We were on a motorcycle adventure. We we're adventuring the back roads of Alberta and um, places maybe we shouldn't have been with a fully loaded adventure motorcycle all on our own in dirt roads. And we're heading up toward Nordegg when we encountered a massive thunderstorm. And we were on our own, we had hail, we had rain. The, the road turned to mud that we were on. We were barely kind of getting by, moseying along, when suddenly this thunderclap hit us so hard, the lightning was like right there. Boom! And I just said to Christine, we're going to (laughs) die! We're going to die out here on our own. Good thing we were together. We didn't die. But you sometimes feel that. (laughs) And so every once in a while, we're reminded of our mortality. Maybe sometimes it's a little more serious. We attend a friend or a family member's funeral, or we have some bad news that comes along. But the reality is for all of us that none of us get out of this alive. We're all going to die. And so that's a major problem for the teacher in trying to find meaning. How do we find meaning when we're all going to die? And especially when we work so hard, but we die and we leave it to someone else that hasn't worked for it. (laughs) That's frustrating, isn't it? we're going to die. This um, uh, great philosopher said this, life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the more quickly it goes. Did someone say crappy? <laughs> this life is like, okay, I, just, I heard that either in my head or out there. The inevitability of death is an obstacle for the teacher when he's trying to find meaning in life. Okay, there's a third obstacle And I think you're going to understand this too. Actually, let me read for you, just to prove I'm not making this up. On the inevitability of death, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 2. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, clean and unclean, those who offer sacrifices, those who don't, those who show up at church this morning, those who never do. uh, We all face the same fate. We all die. And he finds that really frustrating, that it adds to this sense of meaninglessness right? Okay. The random nature of life is the third obstacle. And let's read from chapter 9 and verses 11 and 12. This is what he says. I have seen something else under the sun, key statement in Ecclesiastes. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, No man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Life is just so random. Do you ever feel that? Everything's just going along swimmingly, and all of a sudden, just bam. It changes in an instant. And this frustrates the teacher. It makes it difficult to find meaning in our lives, when life seems to be so random. His conclusion, when he thinks about this, is hevel. It's a Hebrew word that means vapor or smoke. It's a chasing after the wind. Imagine for a moment with me uh, some smoke or some steam out of a kettle. Like seriously, imagine it in front of you, okay? It's there, you got it in your mind, now try and grab it. Try and grab it. What happens? That's hevel, right? You just can't grasp it. it, it, it just, just when life seems to take shape, it gets blown away. Just just when we're about to grasp onto something that, that feels permanent in life, it slips through our fingers. Just when your ship comes in, the government is there to help you dock it. Right? <laughs> that's what it seems. It's Hevel. It's, it's smoke and vapour. That's his first conclusion. So then he goes on to explore how we might then live with a sense of meaning and purpose in life. With all these obstacles, and you felt them this morning, right? Because they're personal to each one of us. These are the obstacles we face. Remember, he's exploring this on our behalf, but this is our common experience. How do we get out of bed in the morning? How do we continue to find meaning and purpose in life? So, he explores now three avenues, at least probably more, three avenues where he thinks he's going to find meaning and purpose. The first one, knowledge. He decides he's gonna get really smart. He's going to explore all the books there are. He's gonna accumulate all the knowledge in the world. He is going to become Google of Israel, right? He is going to have all of the documents of the world on his servers. (laughs) he is going to find all the knowledge in the world. But what does he discover instead? It's exhausting. He's exhausted. He's, he's uncovered all the truths there are to uncover, and he is exhausted. Of the making of books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. That's a gift to the students. that have to go back to school in September. Use that with your parents. Mom, Dad, I can't study anymore. It wearies my body. Right? We're just like Solomon. But that's what he discovers. He thinks he's going to find some meaning to overcome these obstacles in knowledge, and he finds exhaustion instead. So, what does he turn to next? Pleasure. Might as well just ditch the books and party hard. And he is a man who knows how to party. He's got wine, woman, and song. Like you wouldn't imagine what he has the ability to experience all kinds of pleasure. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Imagine that. Imagine walking around, I'll have two of those and three of those, and I'll do this today and do that tomorrow. He denied nothing. I refused my heart no pleasure, he says. And in the end, what's his conclusion? He's not satisfied. He's still not satisfied. He experiences Every pleasure that you can possibly experience. And I can't get no, right? Satisfaction. Doug's singing it in the back. So he explores knowledge. He explores pleasure. Well, what's left? Work, right? I mean, if you're not uh, gaining more degrees and if you're not out partying hard on the weekend, you might as well just give yourself to work. And so he gives himself to his work. And he goes to accumulate great wealth because of his work and a lot of assets. And in the end, this is what he says. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Everything was meaningless. Even his work was futile. So what do we do? Right? We have great obstacles to overcome as we try and find meaning and purpose in life. And all of the things that are in front of us that we spend most of our days doing are not providing that sense of meaning. Where do we find meaning? Why didn't Solomon find meaning in these good things? Because that's part of the book. Work and knowledge and pleasure are actually good. That's really important to get a hold of. He says they're actually gifts from God. And in their right proportion, they're meant to be enjoyed. You're meant to enjoy all these good gifts. Delight in them. Acknowledge God's goodness in them. Receive them as a gift. But, says Ecclesiastes, don't hold on to them too tightly and don't ask too much of them. Maybe that's our problem. Maybe we ask too much of our work. Maybe we ask too much of our pleasure and our adventures. Maybe we ask too much of our knowledge and our capacity for knowledge. Maybe, maybe we look to that as our gods in order to provide us with a sense of meaning. And instead of seeing them as gifts from God, that's the distinction that Ecclesiastes wants us to make. They are here just for a moment and that's okay. It's okay if our work is for a season. It's okay if our pleasure and our time away on a holiday is for a week. Or a That's okay. Don't hold on to it too tightly. Don't ask too much of it, but enjoy it. Understand it as a gift from God, something that comes from his hand. But when it comes to meaning, it's not the gifts that matter, it's the giver. That's the conclusion of the matter that he comes to. What does he say in the last chapter? Remember your creator, preferably when you're young, <laughs> right? Do you get that description of old age? Some of you were beginning to clue into it. Uh, When the grinders, there are not so many grinders anymore. When, you know, the windows grow dim and when men are afraid of heights in the streets. And I, uh, as we rode our motorcycle and I looked over the cliff, I'm like, I'm there. I'm there. I'm getting a little afraid of heights uh, for lots of other reasons too. So he says, remember your creator, especially when you're young, but if you're not young anymore, it's not too late. It's not too late because he goes on to have one final conclusion. The teacher has explored all that life has to offer. He's done it on our behalf in a way that would be impossible for us to replicate. So what is the conclusion? What is the answer we've been waiting seven and a half million years for? Well, Maybe not that long. The conclusion from the wisest, the richest, the most powerful man. What is it? Fear God. Do what he tells you and that's it. That's almost as satisfying as 42, right? We're we're expecting something great. We're expecting the meaning and purpose of my life is, and we have to write a whole mission statement and a purpose statement. No, says Ecclesiastes, when it comes down to it, this is what you're meant to do. Fear God, do what he tells you, and that's it. That's it. And we've encountered that all the way along in our quest for wisdom, haven't we? In Job, in our suffering, what are we told to do? Fear God and turn away from evil. When we come to the Psalms and in our worship, where's the wisdom? Fear God and turn away from, from evil. When it comes to Proverbs, what do we learn? The fear of, the, of God is the beginning of wisdom. And now here we are again in Ecclesiastes. Fear God, do what he tells you, and that's it. That's your purpose. You get up this morning and you say, God, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? What am I to do today that brings glory to your name and that honors all that you've given me, right? Enjoy his good gifts, but remember the giver. The Westminster Shorter Catechism. Where are my Presbyterian friends? Presbyterians in the house, yes. Uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism that some of us were brought up on. uh, We had to memorize lots of different questions and the answers to them, right? And the Westminster Shorter Catechism says this. What is man's chief end? And the answer is great. It says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our chief end, our main purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Or as John Piper rephrases it, he says this, the great business of life is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. That's our purpose. That's it. Let's pray together. Father, as we reflect on our lives, sometimes we're overwhelmed by the obstacles, by some of the things we don't understand, many of the things that frustrate us. So we thank you for your word this morning that uncomplicates our purpose. We are made for you. That's why we're here to worship today. We're here extracted from all of the complications of our lives, from the demands that are on us. We're here just to spend this hour saying, God, we are made for you. And we thank you for all your good gifts. And our heart's desire is to glorify you and to enjoy you forever and ever and ever. Help us to understand that purpose and hold on to it. When times are really difficult, When we're faced with bad news or circumstances beyond our control, may we know that you are also for us and that together we can face whatever the future holds. We give you thanks in Jesus' great name. Amen.